So many of these things that we do, guys, are all a part of who we are as a church community. It's great to worship together, to hear from God's word as we will in a few moments. But our impact around the world and being a part of the global church is important. Our fellowshipping together, eating together, hospitality is important. It's all a part of who we are as the church. So thank you for that. Let's jump in, though. Matthew chapter 21, if you want to open there with me, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. One of the ushers will get one to you. As we study, the verses are also going to be on the screens. Matthew chapter 21. Pastor Brock taught through the early part of chapter 21 last week, dealing with Jesus entering into the temple courts, turning over tables, you know, chasing the money changers out of the area. He was taking that temple court area from what it had become, a place of commerce and materialism. He was restoring it to God's original intent and ideal that that would be a place where people are ministered to, where the sick are healed, where people are prayed for, that it would be a house of prayer. Now, this didn't settle well with the temple leadership who were indignant with Jesus' assumed authority. Here's Jesus. He's this rural Galilean teacher coming in here and rearranging stuff. What gives him that right? It'd be like me showing up at a Hollywood movie set and sitting down right in the director's chair. They say, who's this guy? That's exactly how they felt about Jesus. Who's this guy? So in our in one of the two scenes questioning Jesus, but it's going to be his way, we're going to read that follow confrontation, that Jesus is going to first encounter this fruitless fig tree that he's none too happy about, okay? Let's read together. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 18. It says, early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry, Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or human origin. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe that if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Let's pause there this morning. And this was one shotgun scenes, right? Oh my goodness. In a short amount of verses, we've got Jesus withering a fruitless fig tree and promising that we can throw the mountains into the sea with faith. And then there's this about the origin of Jesus's authority. This is like flipping through an Instagram feed of random pictures, you know, memes and cat videos and sunsets. What does any of it have to do with anything else? And and really quite a lot as we get into this study and we start putting the picture together, starting with this strange encounter with the fruitless fig tree. Now we hear that Jesus, as this scene gets set up, after having camped outside town with his crew, 
He starts his journey back into his usual preaching spot at this point in the Gospel of Matthew. He's in the court of the Gentiles, and it says that he was hungry. It was early morning. It was like you when you were showing up this morning, and then we had breakfast burritos. So he's going over to this gathering where he's going to be teaching, and these guys are impoverished. They're hand to mouth with their food a lot of the time, so here Jesus is hungry. So he sees this single fig tree, and it's covered in leaves. It looks as if it's thriving, right? And though figs would be out of season, a fig tree with this many leaves on it at this time in the season might be a sign that it's bearing early figs, which were a prized possession. So he goes over to inspect it. But on closer inspection, we see that there are no figs. There's no fruit on the tree. And Jesus' response is a little bit uncharacteristic of Jesus. You know, he's a renowned healer. He decides he's going to curse the tree. And it withers instantly. Now, what's the deal with this? Is Jesus just having a bad day? Is Jesus hangry? Uh. We've all been there, right? Hungry, anger, it comes together, hangry. Is that what's happening right here? Is Jesus showing that he's got a little bit of a shorter fuse this late in the gospel? I mean, last week we're dealing with chasing people out of the temple courts, turning over tables. Now he's cursing healthy trees. Now, actually, if you think about it, this isn't a sign that Jesus' fuse is getting shorter. It actually reveals just how immensely patient Jesus is because we see his destructive power. He could wither the tree in an instant, but he's never used, and he doesn't use, this power on any human being. Just think about that. Place that into the context of every encounter that Jesus has, including the ones where he's about to be crucified. Any moment, he could make them wither in an instant, and yet he doesn't. So what we're dealing with is something that reveals that he's very patient. So what's going on here? What's beneath the surface of this? Well, there's a lot of biblical symbolism for Israel being a variety of trees in the Old Testament, but certainly also a fig tree. And there's a lot of symbolism behind the fig itself being the fruit of a life that's producing what God desires. So remember, this scene takes place in between Two visits to the temple complex, one where he's driving out the money changers and the one that we read this morning where his authority is being questioned. It's a symbolic experience of what is going on in Jesus' relationship to the temple institution. God has arrived at the institution he set up and created and he found it wanting. The leaders and the culture they've built around the temple the fig tree with a lot of leaves, but no fruit. So it'll be cursed. It's a curious image in its own right if you think about the fig tree. It's worthy of reflection. Consider it's not a dead tree that Jesus walks up to. It's not an already withered tree that Jesus walks up to. It's a tree with a lot of leaves and no fruit. Again, it has the appearance of thriving. It has the appearance that it might be bearing fruit. Much of our pop culture today and much of even our pop Christianity, popular Christianity, really strives toward this end of producing a lot of leaves on the tree. You know, think about it. You know, a lot of our talk today is about personal wellness, our personal health. We're absolutely obsessed with this. Getting to our maximum peak performance as an individual making sure that we have all of our healthy boundaries and habits and rhythms established in our life. It's all to produce a lot of leaves. But where's the fruit? 
You know, a lot of Christians and, you know, secularists in America, they, they, they will talk about, hey, we want to live lives with rich experiences and a lot of wealth and rich relationships. It's a lot of leaves. Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? You know, you need those things. Don't let me throw those things under the bus. All of those individual things. We talk about this here. Personal health, boundaries, you know, religious activities, prayer and devotions that are going to fortify you in your health. Those are good things, right? You don't have a, a fruit tree without leaves on that tree. But what good is a tree that has leaves but no fruit? The chief goal of most people in our society, I believe, is to simply be an evergreen. They just want the leaves. But the goal of our lives in God is always to be fruitful, to produce a return beyond ourselves in love and self-sacrifice directed toward God and others. Look at the religious leaders at this time. Look at the temple. It was a seemingly thriving institution. They had all their authority. They had all the formality. They had all the legality. They had all the religious practices. They had a lot of money. They had folks coming in and out every single day. It's entering into Passover season. The, the town is a buzz. But what did it produce? Nothing. Nothing but greed and self-interest. Where is the fruit? America is... One of the most privileged countries in the world, if not the most privileged country in the world, is it not? And Orange County is like the little cherry on top of the rest of America. There's a lot of leaves here. Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit in Orange County? No pun intended. Link those two together there. <laughs> if you think about it, the Evangelical Church of America is the richest collective church in the world. A lot of leaves. Is the fruit in proportion to the amount of blessing that it's received? We need to consider sort of the deeper questions, the meaning behind what Jesus has done, this living parable, right? And we will again before our time is done this morning. But the disciples themselves, if we follow the text, they get caught up in the special effects and pyrotechnics. They say, well, wait a minute, the deeper thing. How do you hear that so quick? That's what I'm asking in verse 20. And Jesus follows the line of thinking. He responds with confidence. He declares if one is faith and, and has confidence in God and doesn't doubt and isn't double-minded, they'll be able to do the same thing. Wither a fig tree and even more than that. They can tell this mountain. They're on the Mount of Olives right now. They were camping out in Bethany, which is on the Mount of Olives. They can command the mountain they're standing on to go be thrown in the sea. And it will obey. It'll be done. Now, that wasn't enough of a kingdom campaign promise that they could stand on. He blows it up to another level. He says, actually, you can ask for anything in prayer and by faith, and it will be done for you in verse 22. Now, this is a tough teaching to square with our experience, the experience in our prayer lives, right? We can ask whatever we wish in prayer, and if we believe, it will be done. What do you do with that? How do you make sense of that in your life? How do they make sense of it? That's what I want to do this morning. I want to actually step into their shoes because they were right there with Jesus. They received the promise firsthand. What do you think they were thinking at that moment? Do you think they took this, this teaching for a test drive right then? Oh, okay. You just endowed us with this ability to 
ask for whatever we wish in faith and it's going to be done for us. You know, this whole thing about throwing mountains. Into, see, this is like getting handed as a valet, like the keys to a Ferrari. You know you're not just parking that thing. You're going to take that around the block the long way before you get to the parking space, right? They've been handed the keys to a very powerful reality. And the question is, did the Mount of Olives end up in the Sea of Galilee that afternoon? Or wait a minute, were they too double-minded to produce that sort of outcome? Is that our problem today in our prayer lives? Is that we who pray for those who are sick, our loved ones, we simply aren't believing enough when it turns out they aren't healed as quickly as this fig tree withered? Or is our literal interpretation of what Jesus is saying lacking? You know, I, for one, am glad that it's not just as simple as how it reads on the surface, that we can't just ask whatever we wish and it's going to be given to us. Because just think what we Christians, many of us, were wishing for during the past couple years, angry and vindictive during COVID. Imagine all the wishes, all the desires that we had, many of which were kind of murderous. I listened to some of you. Imagine if any of that, all of that was fulfilled because we can ask whatever we wish for in faith and it will be done. It wouldn't be too pretty. But when I look at this scene, you know, I don't see this blank check for miracles. I see the superior power of God realized through our faith. And this is important, this scene, and how it lands in the narrative of the gospel. Because if you'll remember, Jesus is about to go to the cross in what appears to be submission to the worldly powers and authorities. It's going to seem as if evil is conquering over the good. But what Jesus is conveying is that with just a he could make it wither. The power of triumph always rests with God, although we need to understand that most of that promised triumph is not for this life, it's for the life that's promised to us in heaven. But what do we make of that? Are there any miracles? Are there any requests that we're going to make that are supernatural that are going to be fulfilled? Or is it all for just heaven? Well, the Bible tells us to expect that miracles are going to occur along the way, and they will always be precipitated by faith. But I don't think that we should assume that every time one of our requests is denied, that's as a direct result of our doubt. You shouldn't just blame your doubt if someone isn't healed. Just think about Paul. Paul, apostle, was a faith-filled individual. And he records in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he pleaded. He was fervently in prayer. He's asking God, God, take away this infirmity that I'm experiencing. We don't know if it was spiritual, physical, mental, emotional. What was going on with Paul? But he had a serious infirmity. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. And God didn't take it away. Didn't give him his wish. This is the same guy who resurrected someone from the dead. In Acts chapter 20, he's preaching on into the night. Someone falls asleep, falls out the window and dies. I may have made you fall asleep, but I've never killed you. All right, so this is comforting to me as a pastor. Window and dies, and by God's power through Paul, the man is resurrected. That's amazing. That's a miracle along the way, but he didn't get everything he wished for. He tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, hey, I want all believers to be praying for the kings and government authorities, the, the, the heathen and godless government of that ancient world. Maybe you'd say the same of our government today. I want you to be in prayer 
so that we can live at peace and live quiet lives where we can express the gospel. Now, he didn't get his wish because he was beheaded by the Roman government at about the same time the apostle Peter, tradition tells us, was crucified upside down. In this world, we don't always get what we wish, but God's power is often made perfect in weakness when he reveals his will. The key in this passage, what Jesus is demonstrating, is prayer, which grants us access to God's limited power, whether we're weakness or triumph. At all times, prayer is that act of God's unlimited power, and it reveals faith, which is our path on the journey by which every mountain is going to be tossed aside in the new heaven and new earth, the kingdom to come in its fullness. Now, in the final scene of our study today, Jesus is about to throw aside a few mountains of hypocrisy. Faith-filled Jesus enters the temple courts and he encounters the representatives of the fruitless and will soon see faithless temple institution leadership who start to question his credentials, right? By what authority are you doing the things that you're doing and who gave you that authority, Jesus? You know, how, how can you come in here and be teaching every single day, gathering this crowd on our turf and turning over the tables and telling us what to do? And Jesus, you know, he turned the tables last week. Literally, he's going to turn them metaphorically right now. He says, I'll tell you the answer to that question, but first you answer my question. John the Baptist, was his baptism of heavenly origin or human origin? He's caught him in a little bit of a trap because... John the Baptist, we know, if we've been studying the Gospel of Matthew, he was from God. He was the forerunner of Jesus. And the people saw him as a prophet of God. But he wasn't working through the temple institution. He was out in the wilderness. He was impoverished. And he's preaching out there truth to power, and he gets beheaded for it. A lot of people losing their head in this sermon this morning. So he gets killed. Now, if the religious leaders validate the ministry of John. They look like double-minded middlers because they didn't stand behind John when he was alive. But if they invalidate the ministry of John, guess what? The crowd that Jesus has gathered is going to turn against them. So Matthew records that they were rightly afraid. And this is revealing for us because now we get to see what is behind the fruitless and faithless, empty spiritual institution. What's motivating it and driving it is fear. Fear. They were afraid of many things. First of all, they were afraid of truth. Truth of who John was. The truth of who Jesus was. Essentially, the truth of God, of heaven. The spiritual leaders were afraid of truth. Why? Because it threatened them. It threatened their influence and wealth, and power. And they were afraid of the people and the crowds for the very same reason. They couldn't disagree with them openly because, again, they could lose what? Their influence and their wealth and their power. This is the spiritual leadership of God's people, led by fear and self-preservation, not by faith, not by truth. And so there was no fruit because the whole system was simply set up to serve them as individuals. So they say, oh, well, we don't know the answer to the question, which is a very political answer. He says, well, if you don't know, I'm not going to find out the answer to your question. 
The spineless, like you, can never stand in faith. Friends, so many politicians, so many leaders, so many even pastors of all stripes are leading out of fear. They don't stand in conviction. They're not standing in truth. They're masters. All they are are masters of control. They're great at finding out ways to manipulate the masses to serve their individual interests so they can retain their influence and power. That's what makes someone like Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, such a standout figure on the world stage right now. Because it's very rare to see a leader that isn't going around sacrificing the lives of others to serve their interests, but instead laying down their own life to serve the interests of the people that they're leading. I have rarely have ever seen that sort of quality in American politics. And I've seen it some more, but not enough as a quality among spiritual leaders. God would stand for it no longer in his religion. He said, I will go to my institution myself and I will put figs back on that fruitless fig tree. And I will replace the legalism and deception of the institution with grace and truth in my person. And instead of demanding more from the people for my own worldly advancement, I will lay down my life in self-giving love on the cross for the salvation of many who don't deserve it. And that's why these scenes in this passage of Matthew's gospel make me so grateful, so confident, especially in times like the ones in which we're living. It makes me so grateful and so confident that Jesus is the one who's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And that he is the head of the church and this church of branches. The first thing I want you to do is just feel in these times, man, the great confidence that we have, Jesus is our king. Jesus is the head of the church, one we can rely on. But there's some questions that we have for our own reflection as we consider Matthew chapter 21. Number one, I want to ask you this question for your own consideration. Are you cultivating an evergreen tree with your life? or a fruitful tree. Think about it. In your own life, are you cultivating an evergreen tree with a lot of leaves, no fruit? Or are you cultivating a fruitful tree for yourself, for your kids? You can dial in everything, right? You can have every experience available to yourself. You have the best routine of self in the entire world. You can say, I'm working on me. Well, what about somebody else? I see the leaves, where's the fruit? You know, you can be a parent and you can be cultivating these evergreen trees, this little evergreen hedge, you know, of your children, right? And it's perfectly manicured. And look at all the opportunities my kids have. Look at all their experiences, all their talents. Look at the schools that they're going to go to and the great spouses that they're going to marry and the successful lives they're going to lead. It's this perfectly manicured hedge, right? Evergreen hedge of your children, Is that what we're supposed to be cultivating? Where's the fruit? You can say, well, I'm enjoying my retirement. Well, God didn't retire you yet. God didn't retire you yet. You're still here. You can cultivate a lot of leaves, but where's the fruit? You can't have fruit without leaves, all right? I'm not saying throw off self-care. I'm not saying don't have, you know, healthy rhythms in your life. But what's the point? of a tree filled with leaves if there is no fruit. What are you cultivating right now? And number two, are you 
driven by faith or by fear today. I think this is timely because there is so much we could fear in our world today. Right now, we've got the signs of the times, right? We've got global conflict that's brewing, the threats of World War III, nuclear holocaust, $6 gas. I mean, honestly, some of you, you worried about $6 gas all week long. That's where your headspace was at. Be real with yourself. You're thinking about inflation. You're thinking, do I have enough money? You're thinking about, okay, yeah, those poor people being bombed in Ukraine, but the stock market's really killing me. My 401k is really suffering. Be honest. Driven by those fears today. Some of you, it has nothing to do with the times that we're living in, inflation, the stock market. It's just the general fears that we have in the luxurious society that we live in, where you're afraid that among all the options that you could have in your life, are you picking the best options? You know, some people are just absolutely paralyzed in America because you have so many options of what you could do. Well, then what am I going to miss out on if I do that? You know, living my best life, operate out of that fear continuously to and more and more for ourselves so that we're presenting the best life for ourselves. Fear, living out of fear will always lead you into a life that's self-interested, just like these religious leaders because fear is defensive. It's protectionist. They had something to lose that they couldn't give up so they couldn't stand on the truth and they couldn't work for God's people in purity because they had something they needed to get for themselves. Faith, faith, causes our fears to recede, to melt into the background so that we can be fruitful no matter what is going on in the world, no matter what season we're living in. So how are you responding to the times in which we're living? Is it in fear or is it in faith? The purpose is not just for you to have some more leaves attached to your tree. Oh, I'm so confident about what's happening in the world. Okay, out of that confidence, now you have the mind space you have the vision to see that this life is about more than you. It's about God. It's about his kingdom. Live for it and produce it. So I want us in this season, at this time, in this moment in this world, to choose faith. And Jesus says we have access to that unlimited power of God in weakness as well as in triumph through prayer. So let's pray this morning together. Would you pray with me? as we seek that confidence from the Lord, his unlimited power. And Jesus, first of all, we just start this morning praising you that you would not live with a fruitless institution, that you would stand upon truth, that amidst all the threats that were coming against you and how hostile the world was when you were ministering, you didn't let any of that stop you from doing what was good and right and pure and generous and gracious. Lord, that somehow, though, you're deserving of everything. You laid all that down in self-giving love that through faith in you we might experience salvation. We praise you, though this world is not as it should be, you sit at the right hand of our Father in heaven and you are the head of the church. Lord, I pray that we would be an increasing fulfillment of the very thing that you wanted to establish, that fruitful tree. Lord, will we not just live to have more leaves, more benefits for ourselves, 
Lord, will we use every blessing that you've given us as an opportunity to produce something beyond ourselves in love for you and in love for those around us for the sake of your kingdom. Would the Branches community with all its worship and teaching and events and community groups and service projects, would that not just be a lot of activity? Would it just not be more leaves? Would it be filled with the fruit that you desire? The outcomes, the heart that you desire. And Lord, to open us to that, help our fears recede. If, if so many this morning are bringing fears related to this world, what's going on in the news feed? Maybe they're bringing in their fears, their insecurities about their life. Or we know those fears are going to lead us to be self-interested, to be protective. Or we're relying on you. You have the power. A mountain could be thrown into the sea. A fig tree could be withered at a word. You have the power. We're relying on your power. Help those fears recede so that we can stand in confidence, so we can see the vision of your kingdom, so that we can be fruitful beyond the things that hold us back.